Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. Everybody's got to find it. Whether you like to use your phone, whether you like to use your tablet, whether you love to have paper in your hands. Now those of you with phones or tablets, be patient with those that like to have paper in their hands. It's going to take them a little longer. But when you find Nehemiah chapter 3, give me a woohoo when you got it, all right? Nehemiah chapter 3. You guys have no idea where Nehemiah is, do you? Yeah, there we go. All right, it's in your Old Testament. Kind of go to the middle, flip left a little bit. You'll be, able to, you'll be able to find it. I want everybody to look at it because I need you to do something for me. I need you to spend about 10 seconds, and I just want you to peruse that chapter real fast. All right, just look over it. You don't have to read the whole thing. I just want you to get an idea as to kind of what's taking place here. You're right. Nehemiah chapter 3, look it over. Go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. All right, time's up. Nehemiah chapter 3, what stands out to you? Just, just say it out loud. Yell it out. What stands out to you? Yeah, you, you, you've got names and you've got places, right? I mean, there's 38 different names in Nehemiah chapter 3. It's a record of, of who's doing what, and there's these tons of names, and you glance at them, and they're all really difficult names to pronounce. And so I'm going to have Steve Kahn come up here and read the chapter for us. That's going to be great. That, oh, you know, no, that's okay, Steve. That, that's all right. You, you stay there. won't do that to you. I know we're running behind, so I'm not going to have you do that. But you're sweating over there, I can tell. Hey, there's a lot of, there's a lot of lists in the Bible. You, you read through the Bible, there's a lot of lists that are there. And I want you to understand, this is more than just your normal list that's in Nehemiah chapter, chapter 3. You know, a list, a list is what sometimes a wife will write out for the husband. You know, you get your honeydew list and you got your grocery list. But this is more than that. Uh, you, you would never go to uh, the, the Vietnam War Memorial and just look at those names and say, well, this is just a list. It's a lot more. What this is in chapter 3, this is a community. That's what's being talked about here. There are servants who, along with their loved ones, loved God, and they wanted to serve God. And so for 52 days, they dropped everything. And his families and friends and his strangers, they began to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, here's why this is so important, okay? Um, for East Brainerd, I think that this is just really incredible because the, the parallels are really obvious. Church for the last, you know, two or so years have just been stripped away, all right? It's just been kind of stripped away. It's not the same as it normally has been. And, and it's, in some ways, it's like our walls have, have fallen down, right? And, and, and we just kind of look around and we see that, look, the doors are opened and Christ followers are returning. And, but because of social distancing and because of social unrest, things are just different. Churches are, are seeing an average return of about 50 to 60 members. And, but those members, they might have returned to the pews, but they're not necessarily returning to their ministries. Legacy ministries that once were strong and, and once were vibrant and once were known throughout the community, they're now struggling to find volunteers. You see, we have socially distanced ourselves away from our church family and our kingdom responsibilities. And then complicating things because of our size with a church like this, you know what, you can come and just kind of sit and, and just kind of soak everything in like a sponge. And you can just kind of sit on the sidelines. And so here's something I want you to understand. Here at East Brainerd, we are a church that is dependent on volunteers. Okay, we are dependent on volunteers. We wouldn't last a week without super servants and, and super volunteers like many of you are 
For over 70 years, this church has been built with, with men and women and children from all backgrounds and all walks of life who have been empowering ministries of hope and healing. But a COVID hangover has limited the energy and involvement of the people of God. And our church family has not been immune to the resulting malaise and complacency. We've all experienced, I think on some level, pandemic fatigue. And Dr. Carl Lambert, he's an assistant professor of family medicine and, and doctor of family medicine and leadership at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago. He, he describes the signs of pandemic fatigue and he says that it's being excessively tired despite adequate rest. Can I get an oh yeah, right? He says, even if you're getting eight hours, <laughs> even if you're getting eight hours, right? I mean, who gets eight hours of sleep anymore? He says, even if you're getting eight hours, you still feel like you're dragging through the day. And he says, it's hard to find the pearls in the mud. Additionally, though, and this is huge, I want you to see this, it's gonna be up on the screen. He says, if you have increased isolation from loved ones, coworkers, and people who you used to have bonds with, burnout and fatigue can make you feel like those things aren't worth it anymore. Now read that, do you understand what he's saying? Did he get what he's talking about? He's saying that the last two years have left us tired and isolated, and the cumulative effect is that we are unsure if we really want to return to our past relationships and responsibilities. We talk about things getting back to normal, but we're unsure if normal is even what we actually want. We don't know if we want to be reconnected. We don't know if we want to be re-energized in ministry. We've experienced this. We know what it feels like. The struggle is real. And look, I don't want to discount the emotional battle that many of our church family are experiencing. But at the same time, I feel that I must attempt to motivate our congregation to take the next step and to rebuild our ministry. Because look, Satan would love nothing more than to turn our pandemic fatigue into chronic laziness. It's what he would love to have happen. And that we are just continually falling back on this pandemic fatigue. And, and it's like, well, I'm just not ready to engage. I'm not ready to do this. I'm not ready to talk about that. And I'm not ready to go there. Look, Nehemiah faced the same challenge. How could he motivate spectators who had become complacent with their current circumstance to become active participants? The wall of Jerusalem had, had laid wait, been laid waste for years. And the people who were living there had just become accustomed to it. And they had just gotten into this malaise. And they had become complacent. This is just how things are going to look. This is how things are going to be. And Nehemiah said, it's time to build. Man, I got a vision. I got a goal. I got something that we can do. And this is going to be great. And so he calls the people together in chapter 2. And he says, you know very well the trouble that we're in. He says, Jerusalem lies in ruins. The gates have been destroyed by fire. He says, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. And then it says in verse 18 that the people replied, let us start building. Let's go. Let's get to it. And so that's where we get to chapter 3 with all those names and with all those places. He lists all of those us's that said, let us rise. Let us start to build. Let's do something. And so he starts to list them all. And so in verse 1, you've got the people's spiritual leaders. Because if the spiritual leaders aren't going to put their hands to the work, who else is going to be willing to do it, right? And then in verse 2, he highlights people that are not even residents of the city of Jerusalem. People that weren't even a part of their church were coming to help because they saw the need. They saw what was going on, and they wanted to be a part of the action. Verse 5 mentions that not everybody wanted to participate. It appears that there were some people who were just too lazy. 
Individuals who just felt like that it was beneath them to serve in this way and, and to work. But it wasn't all the people because in verses 6 through 8 it talks about a jeweler and a perfume maker repairing the wall. And you'd expect that maybe those individuals, they might not excel with concrete work, but they got their hands dirty. And apparently, according to Nehemiah, they did even more than was asked or expected of them. And you just keep reading through and you just keep reading about the people who were there rebuilding the wall. Verse 12, there's a man and his daughters building. Verse 17, the Levites are involved. Verse 23, the homeowners. 25 and 27, you've got the temple servants. In verse 32, there's the town merchants. It was equal opportunity. It was all hands on deck. If you're going to be in Jerusalem, you're going to be building. And so you look at chapter 3 and you're like, what are these names and what are these places? What's the point? And I think the point is this. Everyone was helping to build somewhere. And so church, I've got to ask you. Where are you helping to build the kingdom of God? Where? Everyone was helping to build somewhere. So where are you helping? Where are you building? Where are you building here within our church family? What ministry are you leading or what ministry are you serving with? Where are you building at work? It's not just about inside these walls on this campus. Where are you building at work and, and where are you building at school and are you actively building God's kingdom in your neighborhood, among your friends, and among your family? Look, I know it's been a difficult two years. And I know that things are different. And I know that, look, none of us feel the same. But circumstances do not circumvent the ministry of God's people. So where are you building? Where's your ministry? Everybody was helping to build somewhere, and those who weren't building stood out. It, it's kind of like if you're that house at Christmas. You, got, you guys know that house, right? You know, you know the one. It, it's, it might be yours. It's the house that, that doesn't get decorated at Christmas. And, and you need to maybe think before you move into a neighborhood and just get a heads up and just find out, hey, what level of Christmas decorating do we do here, right? I mean, it might be good for you just to need to know. You don't want to be Scrooge McDuck surrounded by a bunch of Cindy Lou Who's. That would not really go well. Everybody else is shining their lights, and you're just, you're just not. And guess what? If you're not shining your light, it gets noticed, doesn't it? Now listen, I am not trying to guilt anyone into kingdom service. We're told in Scripture it's the grace of God that motivates the service of God's people. I'm not really talking about others here noticing your kingdom light and whether it's gone dim or not. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that if we are not shining as a church family, this community will notice. So where are we building? A couple of weeks ago, I told you it was time to remember our calling. Today, in our next steps, I want you to leave here knowing it's time to re reignite and reimagine and rebuild our ministry offerings. Mr. Paul Rowland mentioned earlier our need for ministry leaders and volunteers, and you can pick up an an EB ministry page as you leave today. And you can pick those up and you can kind of look and see the different opportunities that our church has and, and different community needs. And what we want you to do is just kind of look over that page and it's just a, a big overview. It's not all the specifics. It just kind of gives you an idea of some of the different ministry categories that we have here. We want you to take that with you. And then when you come back over the next three weeks, when you get your, your bulletin handout, when you get that, when you're coming in the door, there's going to be an insert in there. And we want to know where you're going to be building. We want to know which ministry that you're going to say, hey, I'm going to build here. I'm going to use my talents, and I'm going to use my strength, and I'm going to use my efforts. And look, I'm certain that there are areas where, where our church family 
can, can use your service. It's not even listed on this, on this piece of paper. Don't think that it's exhaustive. And I know that you've got ideas on ways that we can continue to be a light in this community. We want to hear from you because we want our entire church family building somewhere. You know, 1 Corinthians 12 says that we are the body of Christ and we are both independent of and dependent on each other. We have all kinds of strengths and we have all kinds of giftedness. And I'm excited about future conversations that we're going to be able to have and talk about discovering and utilizing our individuality for the good of the whole. Because, you know, when, when we serve alongside each other, when family members and, and, and friends and, and even strangers come together, God does something there. I read about a study this week where families were observed for 10 years, and it was found that, that one of the most powerful ways to transfer faith to children and for it to be accepted is for parents to serve alongside their kids. So one of the things that you're going to see within our, our, our children's ministry is Brianna has... has um, so graciously said, yes, I'm, I'm going to uh, take on this role. There's going to be more service opportunities that you're going to see being able to participate in as families. Because you know why that's powerful? Well, why does it have such an impact? I think it's because that our children see us living like Christ. More than reading Bible verses or leading prayers, our children need to see a mom and dad that's not so self-absorbed with themselves. They need to witness parents who are actively seeking opportunities to impact someone else's life. And guys, listen, if all we do as parents is bring our children to church services, and for all you that did that today, praise God for you. I'm thankful for that, all right? I'm so thankful. And, and there, a lot of the little ones are out with doing um, their kids' praise, and we worship right now. That's an awesome experience. But guys, if all we do as parents is bring our children to church services, then we will teach them that Christian service is what takes place within these walls from 9 to 11. And eventually they're going to ask, why do you go to the service but never serve? Why do you go to the service, Mom, but you never serve? Dad, I know we're always there on Sunday, but why aren't we, aren't we doing anything else? Why aren't we involved in anything One last thing, we'll close out. I want you to look at verse 14. Verse 14. Yes, this got put in the Bible. It says, the dung gate, those laugh know what that means, was repaired by Malachi. He rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. And no doubt this assignment to rebuild the Dungate was not the most prestigious, and you might feel sorry for this family for being listed throughout all posterity as the ones that were assigned the Dungate to rebuild. But you know what? Somebody had to build it. Somebody had to do it. You can't have an entire wall around a city except for one area, and somebody say, man, this wall looks great, but why, why is there a hole right over there? Well, that's where the Dungate would go, and we're just not really prepared to go and build that. That would never work. And guys, it's no different in the church. It's no different in the kingdom of God. The church has plenty of responsibilities that are not glamorous and that are not a whole lot of fun, but somebody has to be willing to do the job that no one else is willing to do. The job that is left for everyone else. So the job that is left once everybody has gone home. 
the role that's not recognized, the, the job that's not given the high five. It's doing ministry for ministry's sake. It's doing ministry because you love other people. It's doing ministry because God has poured into your heart his grace, and he says, now I want you to share that with others. It's ministry that's done for a greater purpose. And guys, that's how Nehemiah energized the people. He united them around a single purpose. He said, Jerusalem lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. We got to rebuild. But guys, they weren't just rebuilding a wall. They were restoring the city of God. The wall was just a means to an end. So look, I don't want you to hear this message today as a call to become busy in church work. That's the last thing that I want you to leave and take from this. I'm not asking you just to be, go and, and work on a wall and, and go and volunteer in this ministry and show up at this particular time and, and put in your, your due and, and do your thing so that you can say, look how I serve. Guys, I am asking you to join me in restoring the kingdom of God because that is what we've been called to do. At the coming of Christ, God is going to restore all things in this world, everything in its sinful condition, everything that sin is taught to take away. God is going to restore it. Blind eyes are going to see and deformed legs are going to run and, and mouths that only mumbled are going to be shouting praise. Imperfection is going to become perfection and justice is going to be done. But until then, until then, Lee Camp writes in his book, Scandalous Witness, we embody and we bear witness to the kingdom that is coming. We bear witness to the world that is coming. The kingdom, the coming kingdom entails a shared abundance and an unencumbered generosity. Thus we practice generosity and hospitality now. The coming kingdom entails an unlearning of war. Thus we learn the counsels of peace now. The coming kingdom entails the righting of wrongs by telling truth and suffering love and he says, thus we tell the truth, and we practice suffering love, and we right wrongs now. Guys, we have the opportunity today to partner with God in accomplishing his kingdom agenda. Not just with noise and rhetoric, but with action and with response. And so here's what I'm asking you to do. I want you to rise up, and I want you to stand side by side with, with those that are here and with, with, with others who are Followers of Jesus, not only in this city, but around the world. And I want to ask you to build. I want to ask you to build the kingdom of God in this place. And to use your giftedness, and to use your time, and to use your money, and everything that God has poured into you for one single cause, that the kingdom of God might be seen here and now, and that people might be changed because of it. And guess what? Your name will be added to the list of kingdom builders. You know, there's a lot of things that you can be known for in your life. Those of you guys that are in college right now, you're trying to figure out what job you're going to have and, and where you're going to live after you graduate. And you're trying to put all that together. And it's like, okay, I want to be able to make this amount of money. And I want to be able to go to this place. I want to be able to have this type of family and all this kind of stuff. And you want to be known for something. And those of you right now here, you're raising families, you want your family to be known for something. And, and so you've, you've chosen certain schools and you've, you've chosen certain athletic events and you've chosen certain extracurricular activities to involve yourself in. 
And, and there are those of you who are here that your children are all grown and, and you're kind of getting to that time of retiring and you're looking saying, where's my legacy and, and what am I going to be known for and, and, and how am I going to be remembered? And we've got some here that, you know what, you've got a lot less time in front of you that you have behind you and you're sitting there going, I just don't know, I, I don't know, what are people going to think about me when, when all of a sudden it's, it's my name that's there in the paper? Guys, it doesn't matter what career or profession you choose. Guys, it doesn't really matter what school your kids go to, what activities they're involved in. It doesn't matter where you live. It, it, it doesn't matter. All these things that our society says, this is what's important and this is what you got to be at. What matters is, are you going to be known as a kingdom builder? Is your name going to be in the list of kingdom builders, of individuals who said, you know what? I will give all for the cause of the kingdom of God. That's what you have the opportunity to be a part of because God has lavished his grace upon you. How will you be known when your legacy is told and your chapter is read? Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you have put before us to help build your kingdom, to, to help right wrongs now, to, to help serve others right now, to help lift others up right now. And Father, you have gifted us and you have empowered us in ways that are very unique. And I just ask that right now that you would convict us through your spirit, that we would understand that we have been given a gift for a purpose. And that purpose is to build your kingdom. So show us the ways that we need to go. Show us where the work needs to be done. Show us where the walls have fallen down. Show us where we can be of help, whether it's one of those areas that everybody knows about or the areas that we try to put off to the side and say, boy, I hope nobody hears about this. But Father, show us where we can do your work. And Father, we are thankful to be able to partner with you in allowing your kingdom to be here on this earth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Church, we're going to sing together as we close out our time. It's called Build Your Kingdom Here. As we sing this song, I want you to think again about your ministry, and I want you to think about your mission. And maybe you need to come this morning before this church family and say, you know what, I have been filled up with just fatigue, and it has been this whole thing about pandemic fatigue, but I've allowed Satan to start to whistle his way into my heart, and I'm becoming now more lazy than I am fatigued. And I need, to, I need to be a part of the work of God. And I want this church to pray that I might be strengthened. Maybe you'd like to be a part of the body of Christ because you say, hey, I want to be a part of something that's larger than me. We would love to, to see you baptized into Christ this morning because of your belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We'd love to have that conversation with you. I want you to know that some of our elders will be in our prayer room. It's located just out in the lobby. And you're welcome to go there if you'd like to have some deeper conversation about anything that's been shared today, any of the things that have been talked about. Church, we have an opportunity to leave this place and to go be a part of something that is awesome and great. So where are you going to build and what's your legacy going to be? Let's stand and give God praise.